I've never preached with uh, such fancy dressed people here on the front row. I love it. They had a Goodwill Friday night. They went to Goodwill. They all got gussied up and went out to eat and decided they'd wear it to church on Sunday. Uh, Matthew chapter 7. We are continuing. Hey, good news. Next week, we finish the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and we're going to move on to chapter 8 of Matthew. Uh, but we have, man, this, this study, this sermon has been good. And you're like, not really. It's been long. It's been good for me. So if no one else has enjoyed it, I have. I've, I've learned some things. I've, I've been preaching for 20-something years. I've preached every verse of the Sermon on the Mount, except for maybe the divorce part, uh, until we got to this series. And there are things that I have learned. I think I knew, but I never spent time focusing on how much time at the beginning of this thing Jesus doesn't, he never gets to the practical stuff until he gets to almost chapter six, because it's all about, I need your heart. He's pursuing our hearts. He's pursuing our allegiance. He's saying, listen, I need you to submit your heart to me. We'll get to the practical. We'll get to the obedient stuff. We're there today. By the way, I think we're at the climax of the sermon today. There's, there's, a, um, there's a decision that has to be made from Jesus' sermon today, but we're just going to continue to walk through this today and, and next Sunday, verse by verse, through, I, again, just the greatest sermon that's ever been preached. No one's preached a better sermon than Jesus preached here on the side of a mountain as the crowd began to grow, and he began just teaching them what it looks like to walk and talk and live and give for God's kingdom. And that's what we're pursuing. Now today, like I said, I think this is the climax of the sermon, but also I would say that perhaps today is the most controversial part of his sermon. Um, in fact, what Jesus said that day, man has been refuting ever since he said it. In fact, before he even said it, it's still controversial today. It's not controversial here in our church it is controversial in culture and in the people that we rub shoulders with every day. It sounds exclusive. This, this passage is going to sound exclusive. It's going to sound a little, to, to go on one of the words that's getting thrown around today, it sounds a little bigoted. It's extremely unpopular, but it's absolutely true. And we stand on truth. Are you intrigued yet? I've never heard a bigoted sermon. Well, here we go. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Jesus says, You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life, it's very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only few ever find it. Now, in these first two verses, we're going to look at a few more verses, but just in these two verses here, Jesus proclaims that there are only two paths that our lives can take. Two paths that lead to two gates. And Jesus claims 
One gate is the entry to the kingdom of God, an eternity at home with our Lord in heaven. And the other gate is the entry to eternal separation from God in a place the Bible calls hell. And perhaps the biggest point of these two verses is that Jesus states very few find the narrow path. And it's the narrow path that leads to the narrow gate that leads to heaven. And Jesus says very few, very few will ever find it. And in fact, Jesus just point blank says most will choose the wide path that is attractive. Most will choose the wide path that is well-traveled, but it leads to a hopeless, hellish destruction. That doesn't sound very inclusive, does it? That's because it isn't. In one statement... Jesus debunks the lie that all roads lead to heaven. In one statement, Jesus debunks the lie that there are many ways to God. That's the lie of the great deceiver. And many of our friends and many of our family members have taken the bait. That God is too loving and that God is too kind. Well, God says there's two paths, two gates, two eternities, and few, only few, find their way to heaven. I believe the most beneficial thing that we could do here this morning after hearing words like what Jesus has just spoken is to question our own positioning. I think that's wise. What path am I on? What gate waits ahead of me? Where will I spend eternity? Some would say that two roads, some would say that a two roads mentality is narrow-minded. It's not fair. But I would argue that two roads is more than we deserve. And honestly, two roads is good news for us. Can I explain? When God created Adam and Eve in the garden, there was only one choice, one path, one way. It was perfect union between creator and creation. And then creation rebelled. Creation rebelled against creator. Genesis chapter 3 happens, and in an instant, everything changed. In an instant, everything God created became cursed by sin, the Bible says. Genesis 3 didn't create another way or a second path. Sin reversed the path. The way that was once marked with perfect peace and union with our creator, God, was now marked by disobedience and depravity. It was the only path. There was no path to God. In that moment of sin, the only path was destruction and hell. Creation completely separated from the perfect union with its 
creator. And as a result, we have scriptures that say, none are righteous, no, not one, for all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God and all will pay the price of sin with death. One path was the end of being death and destruction and we were all on it. You see, the world looks at two paths and says, Jesus or hell is not inclusive enough. I look at two paths and I see grace because without Jesus, there is not a second path. Two roads. It's too narrow-minded. No, 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 no. Two roads is mercy. Two roads is grace. Two roads is, there was only one and it was headed to the wide gate where there is death and destruction and hell. And God, through his son Jesus, gave us a second path. We were all destined for the wide path that leads to the wide gate of destruction and hell. Listen to this scripture, some of my favorite. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation. But God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. The sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners, but because of one person obeying God, many will be made righteous. And then I circle back to where Paul starts in this passage. He says, therefore, since we have been made right with God, right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into a place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to the sharing of God's glory. This road, this narrow road that leads to a narrow gate that leads to Jesus, it is a road of privilege. You didn't earn it. You didn't pray a fancy enough prayer that God said, wow, that was an amazing prayer. Come on over. Wow, three Sundays in a row. Come on over. Wow, you were born in America. Come on over. None of that. It's because of what Jesus Christ has done, Paul says. We get to travel this road of privilege. That's why we have no right to judge self-righteously that Jesus spoke about earlier in chapter 7. The only difference between people on the narrow path and those on the wide path is the cross. That's it. We don't get to stand and hover over those on the wide path going, what's wrong with you? Why can't you be more like me? The only reason we get to be on this privileged path is because of the cross of Jesus. That's it. 
We have nothing to boast in. Nothing but the cross. The way to God is exclusive. The way to God is restrictive. There is only one way. Jesus is the only exit from the road that leads to hell. That's it. That's it. You have a culture that would say that's, that's, that's bigoted, that's narrow-minded, that's judgmental. No, it's truth. And one day everybody will recognize it as truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Luke says, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Paul says, for there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man, Christ Jesus. That's it. Jesus is the only exit ramp from the road that leads to hell. None of us will get to stand in heaven and and read off the list to God of the good things that we've done. We will bow at the feet of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, realizing the only reason we're in is because he died for our sins and rose victorious. We are all born on the wide path that leads to the wide gate of death and destruction, but by the grace of God, we have found the narrow road that leads to eternal life. We are now counted among the few. Praise be to our good and gracious heavenly Father. Next, Jesus moves from the way of destruction to the teachers of destruction. You see in verse 15, he starts with a word. It's a word for the church. Beware. Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit. That is, by the way they act. And then Jesus gives us an illustration for us to understand he asked, can you pick grape from thorn brushes or figs from thistles? Of course not. No, a good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. False prophets here speak, I believe, to the status of of these people that Jesus is speaking of. They are spiritual leaders. They are spiritual teachers, people who have influence over others. Could be translated to your pastor could be translated to many other teachers and influencers or anyone who you allow to speak into your life. And Jesus starts by warning us to beware or to be on guard. In other words, pay attention because the devil is at work through false teachers for one goal, one purpose, and that is to destroy your life. There is one path. There's one gate, there is one God, there is one gospel, and we have a world full of false prophets telling us there's more. It's too exclusive. You can't say one way. There's many ways. Who says your God is the only God? 
It doesn't sound loving. It doesn't sound kind. It's, it's Jesus plus something. It's we add or we take away from, and that is the audience that Jesus is speaking into. They come in sheep's clothing, but once you get past the facade, you will see ravaging wolves. One of the hardest things in my ministry has been trying to decide when sheep fall, sheep rebel, and who are the wolves. I've been, we've been a church for 14 years. We've only, I get in trouble when I get off my notes. We've only kicked one family out of our church. Didn't come, didn't come lightly. But we come to the conclusion there were wolves. And they were ravaging our congregation. Jesus says these false teachers can be detected. They can be recognized, he says, by their fruit. Two essential tests that will expose wolves trying to sneak, to sneak into gospel communities. One, I think the doctrinal test. The doctrinal test asks, does their teaching line up to the gospel of Jesus Christ? That salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. It is wise of us to it is wise for you to take my teachings and hold it up, hold the fruit up to the gospel. And does it line up? And when it doesn't, don't shoot me. First come to me <laughs> and say, you are not speaking the truth of the gospel. And if I kick against that, then you take whatever action is necessary. But don't, don't do that just for me. You do that for anybody that tries to speak into your life anything other than the true gospel of Jesus Christ. There's the doctrinal test. And then there's the practical test. Do they throw off all constraint to the extreme? You're free in Jesus. Live any way you want to. That was true. Romans would be about half the length because there wouldn't be so many God forbids from Paul. We don't get to live any way we want to. But also we must ask, are they shackling us with legalistic obligations that are suffocating us in our faith? Again, are they taking away, are they adding to the gospel in any way? The doctrine and the practice of wolves will eventually be exposed for rotten fruit because they are rotten teachers. It's why, by the way, it's very important that we know the gospel. It's very important that we know the truth. So when something that is not true is presented to us, it rubs us the wrong way. To where we go, well, that doesn't seem right. Let me, let me investigate a bit. But rest assured, the destiny of these false teachers are settled. In the end, Jesus says, they will be cut down and they will be thrown into the fire. Jesus says every false teacher is on the wide path leading to the wide gate, leading to hell. And they want to take as many people with them as they can. False prophets are on the broad road to hell, and those who follow them will face the same 
God help us. God help us. The responsibility that we ultimately bear here is to examine fruit. To examine our own fruit, of course. We start with our own fruit. We hold it up to the light of the gospel. But church, it is our responsibility to hold the fruit of every sermon preached, every word spoken in the name of Jesus. Hold it up in light of the gospel. Everyone who claims to be spiritual leaders and teachers. And then Jesus doesn't stop. He continues. Verse 21. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and we cast out demons in your name and we performed many miracles in your name but I will reply I never knew you get away from me you who break God's law these are some of the most terrifying verses in all of the scripture to think one day some will say, Jesus is my Lord, only to hear Jesus respond, I never knew you. To think that some will say, Lord, and he'll say, who are you? Frightening. The truth should drive us to ask not, do I know Jesus, but instead, does Jesus know me? The idea of true lordship dominates this passage. Lord is mentioned four times in these three verses. Jesus seems to say that we can profess Christ as Lord without knowing Christ as Lord. It is possible to profess Christ as Lord and for Jesus to, de to deem that profession as false or inauthentic. We've preached on that many times. The danger of being in a church that says, just pray these words. Just pray to this statue. Just take this confirmation class. Just, and the list goes on of all the legalistic things that we put in place so that we can deem that Jesus is Lord. And there's only one way. That Jesus is deemed Lord in our lives. If you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. That might be a prayer. That might not be a prayer. That might be just your arms lifted. God, Lord, I confess you. I am hopeless. I am without life. I need you. You might not ever take a confirmation class, but Jesus confirms those who believe in their heart that God has raised him from the dead, confess him as Lord, and believe that he is who he says he is. What is the true test of true profession of faith? A transformed and obedient life reveals true faith. The one who will enter the kingdom of heaven is the one who professes Jesus as Lord and does the will of the Father in heaven. Did you catch that in the passage? Obedience is evidence 
that a profession of Christ is true, just as disobedience is evidence that we do not know him. Three times in verses 22 and 23, the false professors declare that they did what they did in the name of Christ. We prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We did many miracles in your name. And yet they will hear the words, I never knew you. You weren't mine. Because they were lawbreakers who failed to do the will of of God. That's what Jesus says in the passage. Now, just in case you grew up like I did, this does not mean every time that you sin, just every time that you're disobedient to God, oh no, my conversion was false. I'm not saved. Hey, I had a lot of that. What is wrong with me? <laughs> Why do I keep doing the same thing over and over? I don't even think I'm saved. I was probably saved 157 times when I was a kid. Because I just didn't understand. Part of the fruit of knowing that you're saved is when your sin bothers you. <laughs> when you're convicted by the way that you're living, like, oh, there's something at work in me that's saying that I probably shouldn't be doing this. I missed that sermon as a kid. As men, we can be fooled, but God cannot be fooled. God sees who we truly are. I want to begin to wrap our time by giving a quote from Don Carson. He says this, It is true, of course, that no man enters the kingdom of God because of his obedience. But it is equally true that no man enters the kingdom who is not obedient. It is true that men are saved by God's grace through faith in Christ. But it is equally true that God's grace is a man's, in a man's life inevitably, inevitably results in obedience. Any other view of grace cheapens grace. And turns it into something unrecognizable. Cheap grace preaches forgiveness without repentance. Church membership without rigorous church discipline. Discipleship without obedience. Blessing without persecution. Joy without righteousness. Results without obedience. In the entire history of the church, has there ever been another generation with so many nominal Christians and so few real obedient ones? And where nominal Christianity is compounded by spectacular profession, it is especially likely to manufacture its own false assurance. Wow. The message that Jesus gives us today is, is clear. There's only two paths. There's only two roads, two gates. There's heaven and there's hell. And we must be sure we are on the narrow path that very few people find. To find to find this path is a true gift from God. The mission then 
the mission then is for us to spend the rest of our lives helping others discover the path. The narrow path that is only found in Jesus, it's not a popular message. It won't be an easy mission. Hey, it will get harder by the day. It will get harder by the day because our, our culture is distancing itself daily from the presence and the holiness of God. We're no more lost than we used to be as a, as a nation. It's just that there was a little bit more respect of the holy things of God. Just as lost in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, just as lost. But there was a little bit more respect and now there is none. There is none. In fact, there's coming a day very soon that the church, when it takes a stance on the truth, will, in America, be persecuted. And the only thing that's going to keep us from coward, the only thing that's going to keep us on the mission is the reality that one day, every shoulder we rub shoulders with during the day, every relationship we have, every friend, every family, every foe, will stand before a holy God. And they will either hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Or they will say, depart from me, I never knew you. When we stay focused on just the here and now, it's hard to take a stand because we know it's going to cost us. It's going to cost us relationships. Hey, it's going to cost you your reputation. If it's not already here, it will be here. You cannot believe Matthew 7 and not be a bigot. You cannot stand on the truth of Matthew 7 and not be called every name in the book. Some of those names might be justified because there's a lot of churches who stand on the narrow road thinking it's a high road, looking down their noses forgetting that the only reason they are where they are is because of the cross. We all do that. That was the whole point of the beginning of chapter 7 when Jesus, he doesn't say don't judge, he just says before you judge, you got to look in the mirror and make sure, hey, you can't judge self-righteously, you got you to be aware of your own sin. You got to be aware of your own shortcomings. You got to be aware that you are hopeless without me. And so when you help others that are hopeless, you won't go to them like, you're some spiritual guru. No, you're a sinner saved by the grace, and you want them to experience the same grace. It's different. The only thing that will keep us clear on the message, two paths, that's it. Two gates, that's it. Heaven or hell, that's it. The only thing that's going to keep us on the mission is by the grace of God and by the Spirit of God empowering us to stay focused on the prize 
and to be reminded that every single person you come in contact today will stand before God and will give an account. And we all know this is true. It's hard to, it's hard to live it. Making them a little mad now, not on purpose, not us, it's, it's that rebellion in them. Making them a little mad now, telling them the truth so that one day hopefully they can discover Jesus and they can exit from the wide path to the narrow path so that we can spend eternity in heaven with them. That's the only thing that's going to keep us going. Don't argue with them. Do you know what I wanted to post yesterday and the day before on social media? I didn't. I wanted to post, stop throwing the pearls before the pigs. Remember the sermon? Stop casting the pearls in the pig's pen for Pete's sake. You're arguing with people that do not have any view of a holy God in his way. They've not embraced a holy God in his way. Stop throwing the pearls. Just speak the truth in love. Pray for the Spirit of God to do in them what he's done in you. That's all you can do. That's all we can do. You're not Jesus. You're not the exit ramp. We point people to Jesus. He does the work. He who began the work in you is so eager to, to begin the work in others. Be faithful. Don't compromise the word. Let's see what Jesus does with us. Amen? Father, we thank you for Jesus. We are reminded here this morning that none of us, none of us in this room get heaven because of our last name, because of our legacy, because of what we've done, because of who we are. We don't get heaven because we go to church. We don't get heaven because we give tithe. We don't get heaven because whatever else you want to fill in. We get heaven because we have confessed Jesus as Lord and we've embraced him We've, we've bowed before him and we submit our lives to his lordship. That's it. That's it. So I pray that you would allow our lives to be attractive to others so that they will too want to bow their knee to the Lord before it's too late. They will bow. We're asking that you do it on this side of eternity. That they come to know him. That they can experience the narrow road so that one day they can walk through the narrow gate with confidence, knowing heaven is home because they are sons and daughters of God through Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the exit ramp. Thank you for the bridge that you built. from death to life. Oh God, would you put something in our hearts? Such a hunger to tell others of the way. The good way. The holy way. Your way. May every face that we look into, may we be reminded that they one day will bow their faces. So may we do all that we can to reveal you to them now. 
It's in Jesus' name we pray and all of God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great rest of your day. We have teen service tonight, so if you're a teen, we'd love to have you back at at 6 o'clock. Okay? God bless you. Have a great rest of your day.